Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, as I say every week, it is my honor and privilege to come on this show and to share these wonderful conversations with people all over the world making great things for great kids out there, our great customers. I am so excited about today's conversation. I have on the line Richard North. Let me introduce you to Richard. Richard is the CEO of Wow Stuff uh, with offices located in Los Angeles, Hong Kong and Wolverhampton, UK. Wow Stuff is a multi-award winning pop culture gift and toy manufacturer and distributor with a mission to create innovative licensed brand products. Their licensed partners include Warner Brothers, Disney, Cartoon Network. Their brands include Star Wars, Minions, Rick and Morty, Doctor Who, and many more. In addition, they have some award-winning Harry Potter products on the shelves right now. And Richard is here to talk all about it. Richard, welcome to the show. Hello, Phil. Hello, everybody listening. And thank you very much for having me. What a pleasure to have you on the line, Richard. You have tremendous experience and some fantastic stories, and I'm really looking forward to diving into those. But as I do with every episode, we go back in time and I ask the question, what's your origin story? How did you get into the toy industry? Well, I never intended to get into the toy industry. I, I think it was <laughs> more luck than uh, design. So I've enjoyed building businesses that have got some kind of competitive advantage, largely through innovation. And um, it was 2006 that we started Wow Stuff. I'd sold my business at the time and was looking for an opportunity to set something up. And I met these two guys, absolutely fantastic, um, eco-centric, environmentally friendly, focused scientists and they were at a gift trade fair, and they'd invented a novelty product, and they got some intellectual property rights for that product. Um, I hadn't intended to go into toys or, or even novelty gifts, but I liked what they got and did a deal with them, and we founded Wow Stuff. Fantastic. Were you at the gift show specifically to find a hit product? What was your purpose in being at that particular gift show? Yeah. I was there to get ideas for what could be my next move. So I'd sold the business. Um, I was too young to retire, and, and, I, and I love business generally, and I'd had a couple of previous businesses to that that had done okay. And I probably didn't have enough money to retire, um, and I was still excitable about commerce and opportunities. So it was very much to try and stimulate thinking, look for something. It was – a very posh trade fair selling homewares and gifts. Um, 
I was kind of open to any ideas really, but these guys really stood out because they were wearing uh, ripped jeans and t-shirts, the ripped jeans before, before ripped jeans were trendy. So this was just, <laughs> it was pretty much all they could afford. Uh, they were scientists by academia and inventors by nature is probably the best way to describe them. Um, they were sort of late 30s, mid 30s, late 30s. And they'd been working hard on a business for a couple of years. Uh, they'd come out of their natural habitat, which was, as I said earlier, kind of being very ecocentric, environmentally friendly um, with their pursuits, working for um, non-government organizations in Asia, and had decided to go into commerce. So they'd come up with this product idea that originally they got the idea from when they were sharing an apartment when they were at university. They had developed the idea further, had got some kind of protection for it, some copyright protection for the product, and they were selling it. And when I walk, walked up to them and asked them, you know, what they were doing here, what they were, and they really did stand out because they were not posh at all. They were not upmarket in their presentation. And they showed me this item and I nearly fell off. If I was sitting on a chair, I'd have fallen off it. I was standing there. <laughs> the jaw dropped when I saw it in the middle of this hall because it was the most bizarre product. And, um, and I asked them how many they'd sold. They'd sold a thousand pieces. And, and I thought at first they meant a thousand pieces at the show. They meant, right. they meant a thousand pieces since they started their company two years, <laughs> two years before. And, and, and the natural reaction was to say, you know, you might as well give up and do something different. But I realized immediately how smart they were. They were very clever guys. They got a great sense of humor, great personality. Their honesty, their integrity shone through. And I kind of knew almost immediately that I wanted to do something with them. And I had an interest in another company at the time, a kind of an investment. And I thought that the other company could probably sell their product. So we did a deal and we sold over the next couple of years or three years about three million pieces of that product and then we set up wow stuff um really off the back of that experience and i want to talk about one of your early successes outside of that and that was this little yellow robot called my coupon very cute, very simple, but just adorable. Listeners, go out and Google my coupon to understand the visual experience of these <laughs> essentially two rubbery yellow tennis balls dancing and bopping and squishing uh, to the music. This was a, a really fun, magical product. This thing looks like it's alive the way that it moves. Tell me about the development in the early days of my coupon. Yeah, that, that you know nobody's really asked me about that for many, many years. So our business started in 2006, but we only got into toys in 2010. We were a novelty gift company and we got some clever people building in a product development team. And my co-founder, one of the guys I mentioned a moment ago, he, uh, I forget now how, but came into contact with an American scientist as well, who was working at a Carnegie Mellon university and he was studying studying children with autism yes this, this guy and what he'd um a very smart guy what he'd worked out is children with autism find it very difficult to understand facial features of people they come into contact with so they don't recognize expressions on people as as well as, well as people without autism um and 
they don't tend to keep eye contact or certainly don't keep it very easily. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted to do was try and really understand a bit more about these children in a bid to ultimately help them. So he created this thirty thousand uh, dollar keep on robot. It was called Keep On, and it was. I forget the actual size, but I think they were about a foot and a half in diameter, these circular big yellow balls stuck one directly on top of another. And on the top one, the top one became the head and the bottom one became the body. And between those two things, they were mounted on top of a load of very clever electronics. And from another room, um, this scientist could see the children as they walked into the room where the keep on robot was and he could through the camera that was attached to the nose of the keep on could follow and film the children with autism and what he found was because the the features of keep on were so very basic it had got a couple of dots for eyes and a dot for a nose and the nose i think was where the camera was it couldn't be detected as a camera by by the children But when they walked in this room, he noticed the most bizarre thing happening, and that was incredible interaction between the children and this robot. And he could control movements. So he could control the head swiveling around or or the, the robot appearing to bounce up and down or even move to the beat of music. And the stimulation on the kids was fantastic, and he knew he was onto something. So we approached him because one of his videos we saw online, this is probably, I think probably originally 2009, maybe even 2008, and we liked what we saw. And my colleague being a a scientist himself and and very interested in doing good for the planet and for children and this kind of thing, had an immediate connection, reached out to him, and we asked if we could build a toy version of it. And that's how... The, the, the kind of journey for us to move into toys began. Amazing. What I'm piecing together, Richard, from those two stories is that you have a gift for finding the opportunities beyond the hurdles. And here's what I mean. You look at these two rough dressed scientists with this item at a gift show, but you see it for what it could be. Someone shows you a $30,000 research robot, but you see it for what it could be in the market. Would you agree with that? And, and what is your philosophy when you look at a product? What's your thought process? How do you take that product and, and begin to translate it into something that can be marketable? Perhaps, Phil, you're a doctor of psychology and just haven't told everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, if, if anything, I'm just a good listener. So. Well, um, you know, as you, as you were saying those words, I was thinking, yeah, I suppose that that's what we're good at as a team, looking at something and, and thinking what it could be. So, you know, I know you're going to come on perhaps to the Harry Potter um, thing that, that we've, we've become quite well known for in these last Oh, yes. But, oh, yes. You know, with a brand like that, with a Disney brand, a brand from Universal, these tier one brands that we love and where we've always got fans in the company that love them. And so, you know, the we we do seem to have inspired within the team and it's quite a big team now this ability to translate things that they see into toys that could be and things that have not been done before so yes sometimes what seems to be the impossible and 
Yeah, I, I think what how you describe it is about right. You know, looking at something and thinking, you know, no walls, no ceilings to what could be possible is where we start from. So we do come up with a lot of very bizarre ideas before we finalize and fine tune it down to what it becomes. So good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, another element of your business that I want to dive into is your focus on demonstration teams. Many of your products really come across as magical. And I get the sense that that's something that you look for in a product, but they look so good when they're being demonstrated, Where whether it is a magically flying fairy or a snitch that you can't really figure out how it's flying around. It looks like it was pulled from the Harry Potter universe. There's this demonstration element to your products. Tell us about your demonstration teams. Why are they important to your business? And, and how do you find and train the right personalities to put your product front and center in front of your customers? Yeah. Well, starting with the end piece there, where you said, how do we train them? We, uh, we actually have a boot camp not too dissimilar to some of these TV reality music shows like Pop Idol or, or X Factor, where people come to auditions and um, you know at the end of the day some people stand up some people remain sitting and we tell them which of the two groups have actually passed the test and, and have become um, official demonstration artists for wow stuff so, wow so wow. proper training process involved in that and I'm glad that you've brought that up I, you know I wasn't aware that you were going to talk about that but the demonstration piece and the demonstration artists as we call them are absolutely the pinnacle of what we do best. And they mm -hmm. amplify the essence of WOW stuff and what we stand for. So we have a positioning statement that we call Great Brands Brought to Life. And that Great Brands Brought to Life slogan is, is, our, tra is our trademarked positioning statement, I suppose, uh, of what we're about and what we try to achieve and what sets us apart from other toy companies. So... If you were to break that statement down, it literally means we aim to work with great licensed brands, so number one or number two brands in the space, and then bring them to life with innovation in product, and then take that and bring it to life through live demonstrations. And the consumer reaction when we do that, so if you go to a Hamleys in London, that type of you know, great um, premier toy store. Uh, they have probably 30 or 40 demonstrators in there from four or five companies. And we are consistently the number one demonstration team year after year after year, selling tens of thousands of pieces of product in space that might be eight square foot, six square foot, sometimes less than that. You know, and we claim um, that we're probably the number one in terms of sales per square foot of toys of retail space compared to any other toy manufacturer in the world. So that that demonstration piece is right at the pinnacle of what we do. So we try to build, create, invent toys that are fantastic when they come to life through live demonstration and create that wow response from the consumer, whether it's the kid, the parent, and hopefully both. And that leads to fantastic sales per square foot. A whole business is galvanized behind that. 
And there's nothing quite as powerful, I think, as that eye-to-eye connection, someone demonstrating a product in front of a group of kids. That's just very, very powerful. It's a powerful uh, marketing device, but it's a powerful connection device between a brand or a manufacturer and their customers. So I'm, I'm very intrigued and interested in that. And so interesting to hear about the toy demonstration boot camp. This is uh, this has got my mind going. With it. <laughs> I can yeah. imagine Richard, you're sitting in a big chair, and if you like what you see, you hit the button, yeah. and the, the big you know check mark and the ticker tape falls. <laughs> you know, you know, when, we first, when we first started doing them, I kid you not, Phil. It was exactly that. It was a. It was kind of role playing, you know, fantasy of being that Simon Cow um, moment. But 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 in reality, you do want to be still humble. You don't want to look like you're this <laughs> who knows everything um, and, and and is, is a, a demigod. We, we refined it much further now. Um, you know, I don't get so much involved in that. There's a whole team of people that do that and. And it's worked so well for us. And for 12 years, we've been doing it in a number of flagship stores. And I know that so many toy retailers, if we do mention the kind of volumes that we can sell, I know they don't believe it. And it's only when we do get to do a trial, which we've only been doing in the last 24 months. And, you know, as a few people know, we've been slowly rolling it out now. And we're going to roll it out more and more. Um, it is. It is our... Our essence, it is our in our DNA. It's what we do best, and scaling it up now is happening. and um, And it, it's a great differentiator for offline versus online. You know, this whole experiential piece that people have talked about for so long, but have never really delivered. And we've been delivering it for so long. You know, and if it wasn't profitable, if it wasn't successful for us, we wouldn't have been doing it for twelve years. Um, so yeah, it, you know, our whole business is is about that our culture is ultimately about that and um and it's exciting yeah that emotional piece that you mentioned there you know with the kids going you know you really feel it and you can't wait to get that product home and repeat what you saw in that retail environment and that reflects great on the brand so if it's a disney brand or a warner brothers brand or a universal brand it it reflects brilliantly on their their brand and engages them it reflects great on us as a company selling it and building our own brand and reflects just as well and, and greatly on the retailer where the experience happened. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's going to happen more and more. Yes. And, and so many of the products that you have demonstrated right now are Harry Potter based in the Harry Potter universe. What makes Harry Potter so Toyetic. What makes that universe, that property, so toyetic? And I'd be interested in hearing the challenges of creating new products under that brand that that really take a piece of the Harry Potter universe and bring it into the real world and become that kind of magical experience for kids. Tell us about your Harry Potter product. Yeah, I would love to. Well, I mean, first of all, um, we've had high profile. Um, as uh, kind of a lead, really, with so many products, like 40, 50, 60 items we've created in Harry Potter. Um, a lot of people know us for the Invisibility Cloak or the uh, the Golden Snitches, but there's a, there's a lot more product there as well that sells in you know, big numbers. But actually, we do a lot of other products that kind of fly below the radar, um, but are also demonstrated in those key stores and sell big volumes. But But, but on the Harry Potter thing, I remember we went to a seminar in London 
where Warner Brothers, the team, were telling us more about the brand. This is a few years ago now, and we hadn't got the license at the time. And somebody stood up, uh, one of the senior execs, and said they'd been tasked by J.K. Rowling herself. And I remember this because they called her Joe Rowling, so I know it was a senior executive because to call her by her first name and abbreviate it meant that they certainly knew her. And they said she has tasked us, all of us as stakeholders, with imagining better. So she said to us, I want you all to imagine better. And the context of that was against, say, in the toy industry, not products that already existed in the Potter universe, but just products generally that are out there in, in, the, to- in, in the toy world. She didn't want the same as everybody else was doing. And right. I remember thinking, you know, that's great. I love that. Imagine better. And it's kind of what we do. So uh, we went back and said, I think we can do this. Um, I think we can produce something exceptional that's got the wow factor. And they welcomed us in. Um, we were not as high profile then as we perhaps are now. So there was a big selling job to do. We got the license at first a fairly restricted one, I think just because they were cautious. And what we found working with them was of all the licensed saws that we'd worked with, all the ones that we knew of, all the difficulties that you have in keeping within brand guidelines and ensuring you deliver a great product that's on brand in universe, all those issues are magnified with the Harry Potter brand. They, as gatekeepers of that brand, take it to a fantastic new high level um, where you can't do this, you can't do that. It has to be like this. You know, the detail is phenomenal. And so when we came back with our product ideas and passed the grade, they did they did very nicely say to us, you're one of the very few people that does that, that take things mm. to that level. And it was a huge challenge, but it felt right. It felt like now we were dealing with a licensor that really cared with the ultimate owner that still really loved her brand and really, really cared. And we really care about producing really high quality toys, really high quality products. So the whole thing felt good from day one. Yeah. And that that process really raises the bar all the way from ideation to manufacturing that now you're, you're being requested, you're being required to hit a high level of quality and to create items that look like they could come from the Harry Potter universe. And, and that is a what, a what an amazing high bar to try to hit. And congratulations for being one of the few that can get there and can get there consistently. Let's talk about the invisibility cloak. I think this one <laughs> is the most uh, visually stunning, magical item that you produce. I think it's made a tremendous impact uh, for you on YouTube. The marketing of this has been tremendous. Tell us about the development of this item and its market reception. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to first start off by apologizing to our marketing agency, Chiscom, uh, for giving them a <laughs> hard time every single week we, we speak. Harold um, uh, at Chiscom just said, Richard, 
fire me. <laughs> he really did, you know, and he'll laugh if he hears this. No, that's um, great, Richard. Thanks for saying that. In fact, it's a great time to shout out Harold Chiswick and the Chizcom team there. Excellent work putting the invisibility cloak in front of your market. They did a fantastic job and just a, a public congratulations here. Yeah, I mean, they helped <laughs> us um, get a great product out and, and known and seen um, by so many people. And it, it, it's been an incredible journey. There's a very interesting story about this, if you'd like to hear it. And uh, I hope I don't bore, bore the listeners. But the invisibility cloak is, is a perfect example of our mantra of being on brand, in universe, always, um, and that approach. So when we first spoke to Warner Brothers about you know, we, we got the snitch out there. We've done some fantastic ones that were working really well. The feedback from the consumers was brilliant. So we're getting all these great reviews. And then we said, we'd like to create a replica of the invisibility cloak. And they said, no assets exist. Forget that. People have asked us before, move on. And we wouldn't let go. And we said, hmm. no, no, we think that we've got something here that we would like to show you where we can actually replicate um, the effect that you saw in the movies of people going invisible. And anyway, a long story short, um, after lots of pushing and then pushing internally at Warner Brothers and networking, I guess, with all the powers that be at every level, they gave us a special dispensation to visit the Warner Brothers London studio tour. So this is the premises, which is huge, where all the props and all the stage sets that are used in the making of the films reside and where they actually do the filming. And this place is open to the public. It's sold out six months, nine months in advance. Has I don't know how many, is it 100,000 or 200,000 visitors a year? But it's always sold out. And, and in there resides this mannequin that wears the invisibility cloak. And it's, a, it's a clearly a mannequin of Harry. And it's in the setting near the common room um, where he was wearing it um, or at Hogwarts. And we, we were allowed to go there with a security cordon. They, um, they closed the area down. They wouldn't let the public come close so that nobody could see what we were doing. And they took us to the cloak. I had a full team of guys. I wanted to be along for the experience. A full team of professionals, um, so people with fantastic filming and uh, photography equipment, but also artists, people who could sketch it, um, uh, people who could measure it. Oh, and they took the cloak off the mannequin wearing gloves, and they told us that the cloak had not been touched by human hand for more than seven years. I always remember them saying for more than seven years. <laughs> what does wow. more, more than seven years mean? Does it mean 15, you know, or whatever? But she said more than seven years, and the curator took it off, and we had to put plastic all over this. Um, I mean, it's a replica of, of Hogwarts. The, the, the flooring and everything is real. It really feels like you're, you're in Hogwarts. And we laid this plastic down. They laid the cloak down over it, and the team went to work. They photographed, filmed, measured every square inch of that cloak. Um, every detail that we've produced now as the product is exacting to the original, right down to the green silk style interior, which they used in the movie. And you can't see that it's green in the movie because it acts as chroma key, which is movie talk for green screen. So we created right. uh, the, the same silk 
style interior green to replicate uh, that that movie chroma key um, uh, technology. And our clever guys, our scientist guys in our product development team, they created the app that would then work on your phone so you could actually appear to disappear by filming yourself, photographing yourself wearing the cloak. And so in the prototyping, we went back to Warner's and uh, that moment I'll never forget sitting in a room where we brought in the first prototype of the cloak and showed it to them live on a mock-up app where we threw on the cloak, uh, I threw on the cloak and they're looking at my phone and seeing my whole body disappearing, and they screamed. And, screamed. <laughs> and, it, and it, it, it was a fantastic moment. And, um, yeah, yeah that, that whole build-up to which we don't tell that story very often about how it came about. We were privileged, privileged because Warners had entrusted us, that J.K. Rowling had entrusted us, um, and, yeah. and that my team were, were brilliant in delivering the final result that was so exacting. And once again, seeing beyond the hurdle. No, Richard, this can't be done. We've tried it before. Move on. There's no way to do an invisibility cloak. Let me take a shot. And then you come back and execute. Seeing beyond the hurdles. It's something that my listeners can take away from this conversation. There's a really fascinating and and popular quote from Arthur C. Clarke, and I'd like to, to ask you about it. He says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from yeah. magic. Richard, did that enter into your design process? And and how do you go about adopting the right technology to achieve a great magical play pattern? I love that 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 quote um, and that saying. And I think it's embedded in our DNA. Um, so although using techs, tech for tech's sake, um, that causes so many problems sometimes, causes so many startups to go bust. I remember actually um, one instant that's not too long ago when uh, a company, also university students qualified, come out of university with a great idea, um, a company called Anki. I think you guys in the US pronounce it Anki. Yes, yes. Created a toy race car set. Do you remember that? Of course. Of course we do, Yeah. And, and at the same time, um, somebody came into our office in London and said, you need to switch on to the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference because your product's been copied, been ripped off on the greatest stage of all, on Apple's stage. And we thought, hmm. no chance. And so we, we turned on the, um, the computer and, and, and a disclaimer at this stage, please don't sue us, Apple. You, ne- you never ripped us off. And um, and, and but but the story is quite interesting. So we see we see Anki, this new startup, roll out this racetrack printed on a big rollout mat, and race these little cars around, and they were controlling them from an iPad, which is why the, the connection with Apple. And Tim Cook, it was the first year Tim Cook took over. You know, with the demise, unfortunately, the sad death of of, of Steve Jobs. And it was his first year in charge, and he, he introduced them. And, and the reason why these guys burst into our office and said we should watch this is because they said, you've been ripped off. And we'd created a product that looked almost identical right down to the racetrack, and it was called Real Effects. And it was a race car set using mm-hmm. artificial intelligence created by our product development team, our scientists. Um, 
Now, Anki had raised $275 million over that next four or five-year period of venture capital funding to develop it and launch it. And we we did a Kickstarter for ours, launched it. We had a good first year in the UK. and But they had kind of over-engineered it. They'd used technology for technology's sake. So our patents were quite different, but the end result was very, very similar. And... Um, and I remember our patent attorney saying, you know, guys, what you've done is, is, is brilliantly simple. What they've done is they've used a sledgehammer to crack a nut. Of course, the rest mm. is history. You know, God bless them. You know, they, sure. um, and they had a sad demise. But, um, you know, and Mattel loved what we'd done. And they launched it. We did a deal with Mattel. And they launched it as Hot Wheels AI and went on to sell, you know, uh, in total with real effects and Hot Wheels AI, we, you know, we sold tens of millions of dollars of products at uh, at wholesale, and I think overall everybody was very, very pleased with the end result. Um, but it shows that technology for technology's sake is absolutely not what you want to be doing. But when you get it right, it absolutely is indistinguishable from magic. And when you use that real effects race car set, it simulated all the physics of real race car driving. So, you know, you don't have any wires um, like you do with their slot car system um, to connect the handset to the track. Um, but you do have this artificial intelligence within the car that understands exactly where it is on the track as if a race person is inside the car driving it. And when it comes to a bend, you know, if you don't slow down, you know, the weight of the car will take it off the track. If it goes completely off the track, you steer it back on. And then the sensors lock on within parameters and everything else feels like it's real racing. It was the closest thing to real racing without being on, in a real car on a real track. Uh, that's kind of the way we positioned it. And, um, and that's where it's like magic. And that, yeah, that's absolutely what we try to do with the products that we create. So that experience for the kid. Yeah, even though we're not creating magic toys per se, it does feel magical. Richard, that's so great. Thank you for sharing that story and the connection of technology and magical items. Uh, And your products are consistently winning awards. Why are those awards important to you? How do they help your business? And and, uh, what, what is it about your development process that really lends itself to winning awards in the toy industry. Yeah. I mean, we love winning in simple. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, you know, to be successful in the industry, you've got to love winning. You've got to be competitive. Um, That's certainly that. But it it, it is that old adage that it's recognition of the team and um, and, and the team's accomplishments. And it's, you know, when you've got a nice big award and you're able to say thank you to the team, this is for you. It's true, isn't it? You know that. You know, no, no company is successful with just one person alone. It's a team effort. So the awards are recognition of the team, and it's also a measure of your ability against your peers. Um, because for us, these the toy companies that we find ourselves up against, they've probably been around for you know five times longer than we have. We you know we've probably been in toys for about eight or nine years. Um, they've got bigger distribution because they're better established but it doesn't always mean they've got better products or that they can sell more per square foot of retail space so those awards they're kind of acknowledging our potential Uh, they're giving us credibility and then it's the smart u.s retailers as we've gone into the u.s in these last couple of years um, who are actively seeking out these smaller companies 
but small doesn't mean that they can't have huge hits. And that's the thing about this toy industry. You can come from nowhere and you can be a small company. And as long as you've got ethics and your manufacturing process is great, you can scale overnight. You can have a huge success as we did with air swimmers, you know, the giant flying fish, the shark, um, the clownfish. Yes, you know, that's an American inventor, uh, Mark Forty, a, a really clever guy. And, you know, when we said to Mark, that we, you know, with our scientists, we think we can get this to work brilliantly and we can manufacture it and we can help you with the patents, and which we did. And in return, we got rights for that in Europe. We got rights for big box stores in the US. And it was a huge success. And that probably kind of put us on the map more than anything else. It was a massive blockbuster success, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of units with Toys R Us. Um, and we won quite a few awards. And I think when you win those awards, people like Walmart and Target, you know, they are um, they, they're, they're big, big businesses. But if they're smart buyers, they see those awards, they think you've got something, and, and they will let you in the door. And I, I suppose that's exactly what happened with the invisibility cloak. When we started speaking to Walmart, we very quickly started winning awards. And they could see we got credibility. They, they, they asked for the demo of the product. And cut a long story short, we end up in the Walmart um, top-rated by kids toy list. That event was fantastic because that's Walmart saying, look, the buyers here at Walmart can tell our consumers this is a great product, but we're not going to do that. We're going to let the kids decide if it's a great product. And when we went along to that right. um, that event to see if we could get into that uh, you know that final, it was fantastic because here's the opportunity to show our belief in our products is what it is, and 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 it's because it's they are great. And then here's the kids telling you Walmart, the this is a fantastic product. You know we had 162 um, reviews that followed. Uh, close on five-star rating, and we were packed for the entire event, and we were the buzz of the event. It was it was amazing, but it's great that kids could decide rather than the, the old way of, you know, it's just left to the buyer to make that decision ahead of um, the season. So, so those awards were the build-up to that and quite often put us on the radar and allow us the opportunity to get the foot in the door. Yep. And getting the nod of approval from your customer, from the kids, uh, how important. What are you excited about for the future of WOW stuff? You've come a long way. Uh, there's a long way to go. What What are you excited about in the future? Uh, I suppose rolling out what we do at the moment, but in a bigger way. Um, we've got excellent European expansion happening. Um, we're, we're up 80% year on year. So phenomenal growth against. I know the toy industry is having a you know a hard time. Um, it's not from a huge base, um, but it's all going in in the fantastic direction. You know we're profitable. Um, we uh, we're controlling the growth. We are looking at some acquisitions, small acquisitions here in Europe, um, and we're going to roll out the demonstration programs. You know that thing that I said. If you can imagine a, a pyramid right at the top of that pyramid at that point is our demonstration artists and that program that we do so well. So any retailers listening, we, we'd love to talk to you about that. And I think we're scratching the surface because, you know, we've seen this great growth already, but we're forecasting, um, you know, big growth again next year. Working with really, really good licensed partners, you know, brand partners that recognize what we do 
and helping us carve out that white space because they love innovation and we love innovation. Um, so we definitely find that there is a place for us in the industry. So we want to do much more of what we do. That's it. Richard, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your vision uh, and these wonderful stories about your products. Best of luck in the future. How can people reach out to you or to wow stuff, get involved, buy product? How would you like them to reach out? I'm on LinkedIn fairly regularly. Um, So just type in Richard North LinkedIn, you know, and and send me a note. Happy to connect there. Um, You can email me. I think my email address is actually on there as well. Um, We've got a good team. So we've got all the right salespeople in the US, in in Europe. So if you're a European retailer listening, please reach out to us. If you're a US retailer, you're not working with us, we'd be happy to talk to you and discuss things. Um, Our website isn't up. Uh, um, it, it goes live on the 3rd of January. Um, it's been down actually for about 18 months while there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes. So you'll also be able to contact us there shortly. Wonderful. A lot of your Harry Potter items are up there showing you demonstrating those items. Listeners, check that out. Richard, such a pleasure. Thank you for your time and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.